following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And as I introduced the book of Romans, we really talked about it being uh, the most complete and full explanation of what the gospel is. And uh, it's a topic that's of great relevance today because the, the word gospel and, and that term is getting redefined and reshaped and remolded. And it's really important that we go back to Scripture and are very clear about what we mean by that word uh, and that we, we understand the full scope of what the gospel is. And the book of Romans spells that out beautifully. Um, and uh, what often happens with the idea of gospel, a lot of people take their definition of gospel really out of the first three or four chapters of Romans. And it looks something like this. And it's, it's true to a degree. And, you know, Paul's just been talking about it, what it means to be justified by faith, to be made right with God by faith. And so Paul has spelled it out this way. He's talked about the problem of sin, right? How all have sinned, all have fallen short. Uh, there is nobody who does good. Uh, we have all refused to worship God. We've refused to give Him honor. We have not followed our own moral code uh, or any moral code, and we have dishonored the, the law, the, the revealed code of God. And because of that, we, we all fall short of God's glory. We've all failed to meet up to God's standard. Uh, and Paul is very clear that the price of that, the cost of that, is to fall under God's wrath, okay? uh, which is a horrible thing. And right now I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel, which is a lot about God's wrath. You don't want to be under God's wrath. But that's where all humanity finds himself. Uh, the problem is sin. It's put us under God's judgment. Uh, but God in His goodness and mercy has sent Christ to pay our sin debt so that we are reconciled to Him. We are no longer under His wrath, but we've been released from that through Christ, appropriated to us by faith. Uh, and so we are now in right standing with God. Uh, we're no longer held responsible for our sin. We're no longer under wrath. We are set free. And for a lot of people, that would be the, the whole gospel. right? And, uh, of course, that is true. Everything in that is absolutely true. But the problem is it, it, it reduces the gospel to simply a problem of our sin. right? It looks at the whole issue in terms of um, where we have fallen short and we, we have this problem with sin. And God has come up with a cure for the problem through Christ. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we've got this disease, and uh, Jesus is the cure. You take a pill of Jesus, and you're cured of the disease, and then you can go on your own merry life and, and mind your own business and get back to the, the real part of life, right? Well, sadly, a lot of people have that very narrow view of what the gospel is. And to see the gospel only in that light is to, great, is to absolutely miss what it's really all about. Uh, because it is so much more than just our sin problem. Now, sin is a problem. Jesus is the cure. But that's not the full extent of what, what the gospel is. And so Paul spends four chapters explaining that. He spends the next 11 chapters explaining the rest of the story, so to speak. Broadening the picture and saying, you know, that was the problem. But once the problem is cured, let me explain to you 
the full picture of what you have now in Christ. And so I called this uh, this message moving in, and uh, I, I came up with kind of a cheesy story uh, example to help us picture this. Okay, I want you to all imagine you are now like 24 years old, and you've just graduated from college, and you got your first real paying job with like a real paycheck, you know, just slightly above minimum wage, but that's okay. It's a job. And you go out with your new paycheck and you, you rent this new uh, apartment pad that, you know, it has a big plasma TV and, and life is good. And you're, you're going along, you got your job, you got your rented apartment that you love. Um, and in that too dodgy part of town, uh, coming out of the dorm, this is like, you know, a huge, huge move up in the world and you're happy. You have health insurance, you have benefits, you have security. But things don't go so well, and as time unfolds, you uh, get seriously ill, and you're not able to work, and so because of your sickness and because you can't work, you lose your job. And of course, when you lose your job, you lose your insurance. And so now you're sick, and you go to the doctor, and, and the doctor says you've got to go into the hospital, and you require all these elaborate tests and surgery and chemicals and drugs, and before you know it, you have amassed hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Right? But praise God, the doctors were able to cure you. But now you have this huge debt. You lost your job. You couldn't work. And you can't pay rent. You can't pay off this debt. And soon you find yourself living out on the street, homeless. And you're just stressed out every day by this hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. The hospital are sending people with black coats and dark sunglasses who are pursuing your life, threatening you if you don't pay this debt and you're stressed out about it, and you can't eat, and you're sleeping on the street, and life all of a sudden has taken a very bad turn. But good news for you, there's a new reality show, reality TV show called Rags to Riches. And they're looking for the most pathetic people in the world to rescue out of debt and poverty and give them a new life. And they find you, and they you're as pathetic as it gets. You know, You're like Job, scraping your wounds out on the street. And they come and they, they rescue you and they pay off all your debt. Every penny of it. Completely wipe out all of your debt. right? And, and this to you is just such a huge relief. No more guys in black coats with dark sunglasses pursuing you. You can now sleep with peace because your debt has been paid off. right? Um, not only that though, because it's a reality TV show and they can do whatever they want, they give you and put into your bank account millions and millions of dollars, right? They make you absolutely filthy rich. Not only that, but they build you the most magnificent mansion anybody's ever seen. And this thing is just, you know, 500 bedrooms, 10 swimming pools, 10 kitchens, full staff of gourmet chefs. I mean, everything you could want, truly from rags to riches, right? Well, your perspective for, for, for the last number of years has just been paying off this debt, right? And so the TV show comes and goes, and they give you all this stuff, but all you can think about is, man, I'm so glad I'm out of debt. And so what you do is you go back to your old neighborhood, and you, you get a job at, you know, at McDonald's, and you're making minimum wage, and you're happy about that, and you can go re-rent your apartment, and you re-rent your apartment, and you move back in, and you go back to your own life, but with a new relief that you're not in debt anymore, right? Well, that's exactly what a lot of people do if they think the sin problem is all there is to it, right? 
They don't realize that what God has given to them is this huge gift, a huge new life, right? But they move back into their own life, old life, thankful that they no longer have a debt problem, but living life just as they were before and missing out on everything else that God purchased for them. Well, that's really uh, what, as we turn the corner into chapter 5, what Paul starts talking about. He says, yeah, look, great. God paid our debt. But let me tell you what comes along with the package. He says, you have been justified by faith in God's sight. Now let me tell you what comes with that. Right? And the truth is that for, for, for all of us, living out the Christian life is really a very slow, lifelong process of moving in to the new life God has for us. Right? So we're going to look this morning at four things, four areas that we can move into uh, above and beyond just having our, our sins canceled. Right? So first one, moving into uh, relationship. Moving into relationship. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he says the first result, as a result of this justification, is our our relationship with God has dramatically changed. Whereas before we were under God's wrath and judgment, we now have peace. And the word for Paul, certainly, I mean, he uses the, the Greek word here, but he would have had in mind the Hebrew concept of shalom. Right? And shalom was a word that meant more than just like inner tranquility, <laughs> like kind of the, you know, I'm at peace with myself. And it also would have more than just the idea of peace in a relationship. Uh, shalom was what every Jewish person wished for, looked forward to, and would bless other people with. When you greet, you say what? Shalom. It's a blessing. And it really has the idea of saying, I wish upon you fullness and goodness of life. I want you to have the good life that God intended for you. That was shalom. And he says that because we've been justified, we now possess that shalom. We possess this peace with God. And it really is a remarkable picture of, uh, of our relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I'm a person who really, I really hate conflict. I mean, I really hate conflict. And I'm very, uh, I really am very sensitive. Since I was, since I was a, a small boy, I've been very sensitive to how other people feel towards me. And I remember uh, it was so embarrassing when I was in 7th, 8th grade, uh, if, if I knew I was on the wrong side of people, you know, I would just, I would just start to cry, right? I would just start to cry. Thankfully, I kind of got over that because as an adult, that's kind of embarrassing. If somebody gets mad at you, you just start crying. Um, very sensitive to that. Uh, and as a result, uh, when, when, when there's a broken relationship, it's, it's quite painful for me, probably for most of us. That's true. And, uh, you know, the... You get into conflict. You say you say or do something wrong, and you hurt somebody's feelings. And I love the the silent treatment. You know, they don't get they're angry, they're fuming mad, but they don't throw things at you. They don't yell or scream at you. They just don't say anything. And there's just this. You can just feel this waves of wrath coming out, right? And you say, you know, is, is there something wrong? No, nothing's wrong. Right? You go, ooh. Which means, yes, everything is wrong, right? And you just feel that tension, right? And you feel that, 
that strain, that brokenness in the relationship. And you say, you know, I, I must have done something to offend you. I, you know, what, what, can you talk to me about it? No, there's nothing to talk about, right? And you just know you're in trouble. You know that you are in trouble, right? And there is no peace. And there's something that, you know, kind of tears us up inside when we know, especially if it's somebody we care about, somebody who is important to us. And so we carry the weight of that. Well, if it's true in human relationships, how much more is it true in our relationship with God? Uh, to be on the wrong side of God and under His wrath, to have God's disapproval directed at us is a very horrible thing. Uh, thankfully, we don't really get the full impact of it on this life because it would destroy us. Right? And for those who reject His grace, it will destroy them. Uh, but we don't live in that state anymore. God has reconciled us to Himself. And that really is what's captured in the word peace. There is reconciliation. God brings us to Himself. And there is absolutely now no more hostility or barrier or uh, distance between us. God, through Christ, has bridged the gap. And now there is pure peace and forgiveness with God. On God's side, He looks at us and He sees in us the righteousness of Christ. And there is nothing on His part that in any way is negative, that in any way holds us in the broken relationship that we were in. There is peace, right? There is peace. Uh, no matter what we do, no matter how much we fail, no matter what stupid things we do or say or think, when we come before God the Father, we have a relationship of absolute peace. Right? Absolute peace. Um, on top of that, he goes on to say that through Christ, through Christ we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Uh, and two words here that are very important. You could underline in your Bible if you like to do that. One is the word access, and the other is the word stand. And Paul's really painting a picture here of, a, of the new access we have to God. Um, we have full and complete access to God's presence. And that word access, or standing, really would, would conjure up images of a king uh, or of uh, an emperor. And in the days of Rome, and in, in, uh, even here in Thailand, uh, not everybody has access to the king, right? Uh, you just don't go up to the palace, knock on the door, and say, Hey, king, hey, bud, you know, how about some coffee, right? You don't do that, right? You have to gain access. But it's interesting, back in uh, ancient Thai history, several dynasties ago, um, they took this to great extremes. Uh, so much so that no, really no commoner ever could have complete and full access to the king. On rare occasions, you might be permitted permission to come before the king. But to do this, and we still see this today, when you come before the king, you come as low as possible, Right? you would come absolutely as low because you don't have full access. You have limited access. And to recognize that, to show that you, you crawl face down before the king and you look, uh, you look down. And back in former days with some of the kings, if you ever made eye contact with the king, if you ever to accidentally look up out of curiosity and glance and make eye contact with the king, you know what the price was? Instant death. Right? Instant death. You were killed immediately, right? That's limited access, okay? Limited access. 
what Paul describes here is very different. He says, we now have access to the King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of the universe, enthroned in heaven above, above everything, whose authority and power is over all. We have full and complete access to come before this King anytime. Anytime. And not just to come groveling face down in terror that we will be eliminated, but we come boldly and meet God face to face. Face to face. We can make, as it were, eye contact with the living God of the universe because that's the kind of relationship that's been purchased through us through Christ. Real relationship. Now, of course, we're never equal to God. He is infinitely above us. But through Christ, He has brought us up to His level. He has invited us into His presence uh, and, and it's interesting, the two words, and we're, we have access to come and stand before Him. So those two words go together. So our access is to gain us a standing before God. And what's interesting is that both of these words in the Greek, and I know maybe you're not into Greek, Greek stuff, but this is important to know. The Greek language has a verb tense that we don't have in English. It's the perfect tense. Uh, and it's a very special verb tense that's used to add weight and significance to certain verbs. And both of these words, access and stand, are in the perfect tense. And what the perfect tense means is it's, a, it's a, an event that happened in the past, but its consequences or its, its effects are still ongoing. So you could, you could explain it this way. You could say, I could say in my dreams, in 1996, I won the Chicago Marathon. Okay, and you would be impressed with that. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, big race, big marathon. Um, but if I say that in just pure past tense, it means, well, I won it, but that was the end of it. It's just something I did, finished, done, right? Or I could say this. I could say in 1996, I won the Chicago Marathon and set a new world record that stands to this day, right? Now you should be really impressed. Um, but more than just being impressed, the distinction is that I did something that is still true to this day, Right? I set a world record that hasn't been broken or touched since. It's still existence. It's still ongoing. Right? It's unchanged. That's the perfect tense. So apply that to what he's saying here. Perfect tense. You have access and standing before God. Right? In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, when he made you right by faith, he ushered you before the King of kings and Lord of lords, God of the universe, and He stood you in front of God. And you know what? You are still standing there. Okay? Our access to God is not, is not a come-and-go kind of thing. Like, you know, when we really are in trouble, we go, we knock on the door, we run into the king, we stand before him. God, I need your help. Right? And he says, okay, bless you, my son. Go be warmed and filled. We run out, we go back home, live on our merry life. That's not the picture. The picture is that we have continual, ongoing standing before God. In other words, the position that we gain through justification is one where we have, in position, moved permanently into God's palace, and we now stand in the courtyard of the king continually. Your body may be walking around on this earth. You may be going to your job. You may be this morning worshiping here together. But spiritually, 
Wherever you are, you are standing in the presence of the God of the universe continually. There's nothing you can do to change that. It is your permanent standing before God. It is your position. It is your place in the universe. When you die and go to heaven, uh, your body will catch up to where you already are. That's the good news. Uh, It will take possession of the reality that you are already in spiritually. Uh, So, uh, and we do this, he says, uh, literally, he says, we we gain access into this grace in which we stand. Uh, The access is to stand before God, but we stand in a state of God's grace. So we stand before God, continually in His presence, full and complete access before Him. And the basis of our standing is now what? God's grace. So when we stand before God, we don't ever have to worry about saying, oh God, you know, today I just really messed up and I did some really stupid things and I probably should leave now, (laughs) right? Because you're probably not very happy with me. No, because it's not based on us. It's not based on what we have done or what we've said or how we've performed or if we've done the right things, if we've been a good Christian. It's based on what? His grace. We stand in His presence and He, and he says, I don't, know, I don't know about that stuff because you're here by grace. Everything you've done is covered when you were justified in Christ, when you were made right through the death of Christ. Now you stand before me continually in a state of grace. Okay, that's what covers us. That's what uh, is the basis now of our relationship with Him. Um, so first thing uh, we need to be more and more aware of is we need to move into the palace, so to speak. We need to be continually realizing that we have been placed in a new kind of relationship with God. And we need to be moving into that more and more all the time. Okay, It's a reality for us that's absolutely true. Just like in my beginning illustration, the guy won all this stuff, the house was built for him, his bank account was full. The problem is, until you move into that new reality, it doesn't really benefit you much. It's true, but until you live there, it doesn't do you any good. Right? We need to start moving more and more into that kind of relationship with God where we stand fully before Him in His presence and experience the full presence of God in our life. Or to put it more accurately, we, we experience being in the full presence of God, not that He is with us as much as we are with Him continually. Um, we need to move into that more and more. Uh, I have this kind of crazy image, you know, of, of us standing before God, and we've been zapped, you know. We come to Christ, we're justified, and poof, God picks us up and He puts us right in front of His throne. Uh, the scene of Revelation, you know, the angels all around, the glassy sea, the big lightning bolts flashing, the thunder, God Almighty, the Lamb of God there, and, and we're in God's presence, you know. And most of us are like, you know, playing video games, reading books, watching YouTube videos, clueless of where we are, right? Clueless of where we are. We need to open our eyes and see the spiritual reality we are in in Christ. Second thing, we need to move into a new and glorious expectation. Move into a new and glorious expectation. Um, Reading on, it says, Because of our faith in Christ, Christ has brought us into this... um, 
place of undeserved privilege, this place of grace where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. Another translation puts it this way. Uh, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Um, for us as believers, because we have been justified, the future takes on a new tone for us. Right? Uh, what is the future like for most people in the world? If you watch the news, if you read magazine articles, there's a lot of talk about the future, whether the immediate, immediate or distant future. And, you know, the talk are th- things like economic woes. You know, Europe and the Euro is going down the tubes. America is going down the tubes financially. China's struggling financially. If you're worried about money, you would be nervous about the financial prospects of the future. Right? Um, there's... There's political woes. You know, there's always elections coming up. And as bad as the current leader is, there's the potential that we could vote in somebody worse. Right? Right? Always. Uh, or worse yet, we vote in the person who's better who turns out to be worse. Right? That's kind of the way it is. There's this constant hope that things will get better, but then there's the reality that every time we get somebody new, it never fixes all the problems, and it just creates more problems, and there's fighting. Um, if you look at the, the natural world, the future um, also looks rather bleak. Uh, it's funny, I made a couple of trips to Bangkok and talked to people in Bangkok, and they really are just worried that there's going to be another repeat of last year's flood. I mean, they are worried about this. And, uh, and it was a horrible deal last year, and they're just convinced every time it rains, another flood, it's coming, right? Um, I saw an interesting sign the other day, uh, somebody selling a, uh, houses. And in real big, like, like the top thing in their advertisement was, this house is earthquake-proof. <laughs> it's like, really? Because uh, somebody's worried about this, apparently. There's going to be earthquakes, right? All those things are there, more tsunamis, more natural disasters. Right? Humanly speaking, the world is, and, and the future is frightening. Uh, and not only that, but it's uh, personally, uh, the future is not always all that bright either. Uh, the reality is all of us look forward to a future where we get older, right? Nobody is actually getting younger. Every year we get older, and you know what that means? It means your hair falls out. It means your face sags, and everything else sags. And it means you get slower, and it means you... I forgot the last one. You forget stuff. <laughs> yeah, I am getting older. It's, it's a kind of a downhill descent, right? Well, for the believer, the future takes on a whole new perspective, right? Notice what he says. We exult in, we, we rejoice in, the hope of God's glory. The hope of God's glory. And he uses some interesting words there. The first word is the word uh, uh, to rejoice. Some translations say rejoice. Some say boast. Some say glory. It's the same word that Paul used uh, a couple chapters back when he, when he talked about uh, glorying in or boasting in. Right? It's that same word. But it's a word that's hard to capture in English. We don't really have a good equivalent. And it carries with it these ideas, the idea of a triumphant 
rejoicing confidence. Triumphant rejoicing confidence. So it has the idea of kind of rejoicing in something that's really good, but also a measure of great confidence in something. Uh, for me, I think the best translation would be to use the word exult. The problem with this word is it's not a word we use often, but it's a, it's a word that captures what this word means. And to exult means to revel in, to glory in, to triumph, to rejoice. Right? To, re, to exult in a victory. If your team wins the national, the world championship, whatever, you exult in that. You are excited. You are confident that your team is the best. And you celebrate that with great enthusiasm and rejoicing. Well, he says, when we look toward the future, when we look off in the distance, in spite of what the world's happening, in spite of what's happening to our body, in spite of you know, things that we may be disappointed or discouraged about, the truth is we should exult in the future. Because our future is the hope and the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. Uh, and in Scripture, hope is not simply uh, a faint wish, but it's confidence. It's a confidence in what's going to happen. And he's saying this, for all of us in Christ, because of our new position, because we have been justified, this is the future for us. We will share, we will be partakers in the fullness of God's glory. So here's the deal. Not only do we stand before the throne of God, not only do we come into His presence and have this relationship where we're in constant access to God, but we now become uh, heirs of everything that God is and everything that God possesses. Throughout Scripture and other places, Paul talks about being partakers, sharers, those who share in God's glory. Through sin, we have fallen short of God's glory, but through justification, we look forward to a future where we will participate fully in the, in the complete glory of God. What is, what is that? Well, I don't even know what that is. It's incomprehensible. It's beyond words. But it is His majesty, His beauty, His fame, His success, His power and authority, His victory, His wealth, His holiness, everything that God is, is fully ours to participate and share in. Right? Um, the mansion, the, the bank account, the future that we have is one that is as filthy rich and abundant as we could possibly imagine. And not just in material things, not just in external things, but in the greatest treasures of joy and happiness in heart. Right? That's what we have to look forward to. Uh, no matter how bad it is, one day uh, it's going to be good, right? We look forward to a future filled with all the treasures of God's goodness. Um, we can't begin to imagine how good it is, but it's fun sometimes to try. You know, and this week I, I challenge you to try. Try to imagine what it means that someday we will possess God's glory, right? And it's a glory that never fades, never grows old, never runs out. So we have this great expectation. We live, and we ought to live, expecting and looking forward to the glory that is ours through Christ in God. Third thing. So this sounded pretty good, right? We got, you know, we got this amazing, incredible relationship with God. We share in all that is His one day. Um, sounds pretty good, right? 
Uh, but then he you know, moves on to verse 3, where he says this. Um, more than that, it even gets better. More than that, we exult in our sufferings. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. Well, this is not really where I wanted this to go. Um, but the truth is, we move into hardship as well. right? Uh, our future is bright. Our relationship with God is incredible. Our circumstances on earth, uh, not so great. right? As Christians, God promises us this, that our circumstances on earth will involve suffering and hardship. Guaranteed. Uh, Paul is not proclaiming here a prosperity gospel. He is not saying that because Jesus died for you, you're never going to have problems again. God's going to give you everything you want here in this life now, and you're never going to be sick, and you're never going to have problems, and you're never going to have worries because God's going to just bless you with wealth right now. No. He has something better than all that. Hardship and suffering. But notice what he says. He says, um, he says that we exult, we rejoice in these things. Uh, and here's the, here's the problem. Here's the, here's the problem of suffering. Um, and, and we can see this in, for example, Hindu or Buddhist contexts. Uh, and it was true also in, in Jewish contexts. Uh, and it's often true in our own thinking. It goes something like this. If God loves me, and this is the prosperity gospel. If God loves me, He will give me what I want and make me comfortable and make my life good. Right? And the corollary of that is if I don't get what I want and I'm not comfortable and my needs are not met, therefore it proves that what? God does not love me. Right? And so we walk out of the Christian life justified in relationship with God, looking forward to this bright hope. And we go out into life and, wow, we get run over by a car. You know? We get run over by life. There's hardship and there's struggle. And things don't go the way we planned. And there's disappointment. And we get sick and we break our leg. And we uh, don't have enough money. And we do lose our job and end up living on the street. Whatever. I don't know. We get persecuted for our faith. We share the gospel, and our family rejects us. And there is hardship. And we start thinking, what happened? Where's all the love? What happened to God? God has failed me. God has let me down. Right? And we start feeling depressed and discouraged and wiped out because we were convinced that if God loved us, He would treat us better. Uh, some famous saint, uh, I don't remember which one, some lady, um, back in medieval times, was riding on her horse and uh, praying, and she got bucked off the horse under the mud. And she said, you know, if this is how God treats his friends, I would hate to be one of his enemies. You know? Sometimes that's how it is. You know, we feel like, God, if this is how you treat your friends, where's the love, right? But Paul has a different take on all this. He says, you know what? I exult in this. I, I rejoice in this. Okay, now there's a couple of options here. One, Paul just got put in jail and beat up too many times and he kind of went crazy. Or he understands something that we don't. 
right? I'm going to go with the second one. Um, he has a completely different perspective on it. And the perspective is this, that, um, that we rejoice in sufferings because of what suffering does in us. He sees that suffering has great value and purpose because it teaches us something that we would never learn otherwise. And notice what he says. He says, uh, our suffering, our hardship, uh, produces in us endurance. And endurance produces character or provenness. And this provenness produces hope. Right, hope. Um, these are qualities that we need to, to enter into, to move into what God has for us. Uh, to stand before the throne and stop playing video games and watching YouTube and being checked out, we need suffering. Right? We need this. Because it wakes us up to the fact that what we experience here and now is not it. Right? That the circumstances and the environment we're in now is not the final destination. That there is more. That we need to set our hope on the future. We need to learn delayed gratification. That's <laughs> what every little kid needs to learn. You know, when they're a baby, when they're two years old, they want everything and they want it now. And if they don't get it now, they scream. Uh, if they don't grow past that and learn patience and endurance and hope, you know what happens? You get some really nasty 30-year-olds who just have temper tantrums and look ridiculous, right? Because they haven't learned that it's not about here and now. I need to live for the future because there's more out there than what I can get right here and now. And the only way to do that is to go through suffering, to go through hardship, to go through struggle, and to be put to the test and to learn patient endurance, to, to discover that, you know, I have got a long course ahead of me and I've got to keep my focus on the hope that is out there and not get distracted by everything around me here and now. The only way to do that is through suffering and hardship. So Paul was excited because he's going, man, I get to go to school. I get an education from God that's going to make me uh, much stronger in faith. And I am excited about that. Amen? Uh, maybe not. Well, it should be our attitude. And I confess, it's not my attitude most of the time. Not my attitude. I, I hit suffering and hardship with great grumbling and complaining. I bash up against my own failures and my own disappointments and, and my dis, uh, failed expectations and the disappointments of life. Uh, I, I'm not happy about it. Right? But we need to move into a new attitude about hardship. Right? We need to change our thinking. And we need to go, when things get really hard and, and life just is lame and things are not good and things are not going the way we want and God seems so far away, we need to have this perspective that says, this is good because God is going to teach me very important lessons through this. God is going to mold and shape me and build me into a stronger man or woman of faith because I go through this. And so I am going to rejoice in the midst of this. I am going to embrace the suffering. I am going to day by day faithfully keep on the track God has called me to. And I'm going to learn to endure. I'm going to learn to be tested and proven. 
I'm going to learn to keep my hope on the future glory that God has for me. And day by day, step by step, I'm going to keep following God, walking with Him. We need to move into that attitude. We need to move into that perspective. And we need to turn away from this selfish, childish mindset that, you know, I'm not getting what I want and God must not love me. That's a lie of Satan. It's a lie of Satan. Last one. Moving into love. Um, He finishes with these amazing words. Um, And this hope that we have grown into does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, this hope does not put us to shame. So we go through this suffering. We learn endurance. We are proven and tested. We show that we have faithful character. And in the end, we come out with greater hope. And if you're like me, you're going, okay, that's great. Just what I wanted, hope. Hooray. <laughs> that's really not what I was after. Can I get it like at least an, an award or something? Hope. What do you do with hope? Well, he says, this hope does not shame us. Literally, this hope does not trick or deceive us. Right? Uh, in other words, this hope is guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. Well, how do we know it's guaranteed? Well, we know it's guaranteed because God has given us a down payment. Right? So a lot of what we're going to get from God is future. Okay? The glory, the heavenly mansions, the fullness of peace and joy, uh, you know, all that is future. But God has given us a down payment, a first installment. It's kind of like, you know, when you, when you go to rent that apartment with the cool TV and the old junkie couch, you've got to do what? To get the apartment, you have to pay down a deposit and like some ridiculous number of months of rent, right? And then when you pay that up front, then you can move in and, and it's kind of yours, right? Or if you're buying a house, you pay down a down payment, uh, you can't pay the full amount, but you pay down a down payment, and then it's partly yours. But it looks forward to the day when you pay it off and it becomes yours fully. Right? Well, God has given us a down payment of this hope. Right? He hasn't given us the whole deal. Uh, in fact, there's a lot that He hasn't given us. But He has given us a small taste, a down payment. And what is that down payment? Well, it says that He has poured out His love in our hearts. Right? That is what we get now. We get uh, His love poured into our hearts uh, through the ministry and um, uh, mediation of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, again, back to Greek tenses. The word poured out, guess what tense it is? Perfect. Right, perfect tense. He has poured out His love. In other words... You know, God didn't just put a little trickle. He didn't just give a little eyedropper with a few little drops. He has flooded us with His love, right? He has flooded our hearts with the full and abundant outpouring of His love by His grace. Right? And so you and I are, are to be filled. We are filled, filled with the fullest measure of God's love and goodness poured out in our hearts. Right? And He does this through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes into our life, 
When we are justified, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit floods our life with His love. Now, it all sounds really good and great, and we know that in our heads, right? We know that in our heads. But it doesn't say that He poured out His love into our brain, right? It says He poured out His love into our heart. What's the significance of that? Well, the heart in Greek and Hebrew can mean a lot of things. It can mean it can mean our thoughts. It can mean our will. It can mean our affections and our emotions. Probably in this context, it means all of those. It means really the place where we connect with people in intimate, personal relationship. Going back to that word of relationship. Uh, we have relationship with people we care about primarily through heart. Right? That's why at Valentine's Day, it's all about hearts, right? Whatever all that comprises, it's a word of relationship and intimacy and closeness. We have entered into a relationship with God, not only standing before Him, not only of peace, but a relationship that is bound together by His incredible love. Uh, and we are to experience it more than just facts or information. We are to experience it in everyday life. This calm assurance that whatever happens to us in our hardships and sufferings and trials, that it's okay because, you know why? God loves us. God loves us. Right? Uh, a child needs this. That's why God gave children parents. And when a child knows they're loved by their parents uh, and cared for, they have a certain boldness to face life. And we know that when kids don't have that, there is insecurity and fear. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us incredibly. Right? And so we have confidence that we can face life because we are in the hands of ones who, who cares deeply about us. He will not let us fall into uh, anything that will ultimately harm us. No matter how hard things are, those hard things are from a loving God who uses those things to do good things in our life. Right? Well, how do we move into that? Because the truth is, uh, for me, um, you can tell me that God's poured out His love in my heart, but honestly, I don't feel it. You know, I don't often feel all that loved, especially when things get hard. Right? I can't say that I am overflowing with just this bubbly, like, love thing, right? How do we move into that? How do we move into that reality? Well, throughout this verse, he has reminded us that it is through faith that we appropriate these things. So how do we move in? How do we move more into love? How do we move more into God's presence? How do we move more into our expectation of future hope? How do we move more into the sense of peace with God that we are to possess? Well, really, in the end, is a quite simple thing. We just have to believe that that is our new reality to a much greater extent than before. Right? We just have to, in the face of doubt, say, you know, that old reality is not truth for me anymore. Whatever I feel or think or wherever I am at, I, by my will, am going to choose to believe this new reality, that God's word and his promise is certain and true. And God said that he, he pours out this love through the Holy Spirit who fills us. Um, the Holy Spirit will empower us to trust God if we will move in that direction. 
Um, one of the first steps is to realize that we're living with the wrong reality, right? One of the first steps is to realize that, you know, God does love me, and the fact that I don't believe it is a problem. And I need to change the reality I live in. I need my faith to grab hold of His promises with greater conviction and certainty. For me, it's a daily struggle, right? It is a daily struggle. It is daily going to His Word and uh, reading over and over again that He is a God of unfailing love and faithfulness and telling myself, that is right. Is right. I'm not going to let go of that. Right? I'm going to hold on to that. No matter how bleak things get in life, I know God is a God of unfailing love and faithfulness. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.